What's up, crew? Welcome to Filming in Progress, the show that takes you backstage into the world of local businesses and the people who make them shine. Today, we feature Steve Holbrook, a business leader, keynote speaker, and investor with 18 plus years of leadership development, and most recently being awarded top five entrepreneur from Men's Journal. From battling with Crohn's disease to expanding his insurance business to 500 plus brokers, Steve's story is a testament to the power of mindset. Join us for an impactful exploration of Steve's inspiring journey. Thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate you being here. It's good to be. Thanks for coming. We're yeah, we're in your home today. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> uh, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, investor, motivator. You're, you you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Take me back. How did you get started? Where where's the foundation for all of this? Wow. I mean, I probably have to go back to the way I was raised. You know, I was raised in a in a in a middle class family. My dad was a bricklayer. My mom kind of ran the company that my that my grandfather founded, and that's actually how my parents met. You know, he was a bricklayer, and she she worked for her for her dad, and he ended up working at that company. But I go back to that because it's just I had such a great example of hard work, and I watched my dad, I watched my grandpa, I watched my mom build this amazing company uh, in a completely different space than I was in. But I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew that that I wanted I wanted to really get that kind of control that you have when you build a successful business. So those seeds were planted early on, and uh, then I, I I mean I do what every grade nine eight person does. He wants to start making some money, right? So I went to I went to Earl's. I started washing dishes actually at the end of grade eight, beginning of grade nine, and um, working my way up at Earl's. And then I eventually went to university, <clears throat> took some business school because my whole what I thought I wanted was to go into the family business. That's what I thought I wanted. I thought entrepreneurship in the family business. But, you know, for me, it was so much more than that. It was not just about going in the family business. It was about creating this life that I always wanted. So after university, you know, I didn't want to work at Earl's anymore. A good company, but um, great company, but um, wanted to be an entrepreneur. So had an opportunity to go in the family business and the timing wasn't right. It just, it just wasn't on my heart. So you know, I was, you know, I was, I was basically praying every night. I was praying for an opportunity. I was praying for a vehicle. I needed, I needed something. I needed something to do that was going to get me to where I wanted to go. See, I think a lot of people have it backwards. For me, I designed my life that I wanted. I knew what I wanted. Then I found the vehicle. You know, there's a book, uh, The E-Myth by, by Michael Gerber. You've heard it before, right? It's like, I, I, I didn't necessarily want to f- go into business following my passion. I wanted to go into business finding a vehicle that was going to get me to where I wanted to go. So got introduced to this industry at 23 years old, saw it as an opportunity to not only help people, you know, make a huge impact, but created an unbelievable life for myself. And, and that was, that was, that's where it started. Once I got into business and, and, and found the goose that started laying the golden eggs, then I could, it's easy to be an investor when you have cash flow, right? It's easy to, uh, it's, it's easy to diversify and, and pay down debt and, and travel uh, when you've found something that is producing, um, you know, a lifestyle for you. So that's really how I got started. Awesome. Yeah. So around that Earl's time or even pre, were there like entrepreneurial, uh, you know, you grew up in the entrepreneurial household and that sort of thing, but were there elements that you'd, you know, like even things that you did as a kid that kind of adhered to the entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, I, I, I never, I was always, I was always a bit different than the other kids. So I, I mean, that's entrepreneurship, right? You're kind of the freak in the room. A lot of times you're, you're different. You're, you're, you're thinking outside the box. You know, I've had Crohn's disease since I was two. It's a big part of my life. 
So, um, you know, I didn't really grow until later on in my, in my life. So I always looked younger than I was. Um, I got picked on a bit, um, you know, I had a, I had a small friend group, but my parents moved around a bit, uh, with their business. We moved to Vancouver for a bit. So friend groups changed. So I never really, I never really felt like I fit in growing up. I never felt like I fit in to a group at school or fit in, you know, I, I had hockey, minor hockey was probably my, my favorite team that I was on. It was, it was being on a, on a hockey team, but, um, you know, I, 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 I always, I always did things a little different. I was always, you know, I, I was always a little bit different than, than all the other kids. And, um, I didn't mind being different. You know, I, I embraced it. Um, I, I really embraced it. So I think for me, because I felt different growing up, I think I accepted the fact that it was okay to be different. And I felt like I could be successful. I don't know about you, but I always felt like I just needed a shot. You know, I was watching, I was watching the, uh, the, the, the um, NFL playoffs yesterday. Right. And, uh, you know, I was a quarterback for one of the teams and he's picked last in the draft and they call Mr. Irrelevant. And, you know, I don't want to create this, this, this story that, you know, I don't want to create it bigger than it is. But for me, you know, I always felt like an underdog and I just, I just needed, I needed to find something. So yeah, growing up, being the underdog, um, being picked last for, for playground, Red Rover, things like that. I just knew that, um, I needed, I needed to find something that I could control. Because when you're young and you're sick, um, and you're and you feel a little bit insignificant, um, you feel like you have no control. You're always out of control. So I needed something I could. I wanted to be in control. And entrepreneurship for me was taking back control of my life. So awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people crumble under that pressure, right? Mm -hmm. They they would just kind of let that become their identity. Mm -hmm. um, do, how to what extent do you think that adversity that you faced when you were young in that in those years, uh, how has that propelled you forward now? I think it it it's directly tied. You know, I mean, you faced adversity, right? Everybody watching's faced adversity. It's when you're facing adversity. It's it's when you have those moments where you feel alone. And I feel like when you, when I was facing adversity, I was learning to, I was learning to fight the quiet battles that no one's watching. You know, I remember like dozens of times being a kid, whether it was, you know, five years old, six years old, or, you know, 10 years old, 14 years old, being in the hospital. And, you know, you're in the hospital, your, your family's around you, your sister's around you. And then visiting hours are over. Everybody goes home. Well, everybody leaves and it's just you. It's just you in your room um, and you're all by yourself. The quiet battles, learning to deal with the six inches between your ears. So I feel like I really, I really figured out how to be, how to, how to be alone with my thoughts. Um, I really figured out at a young age that nobody was coming to save me. It was on me. Like I had the best, best parents and my mom was amazing. She was at every hospital visit, but there was only there was only so much she could do. She was at her wit's ends. We were running out of medication, running out of options, surgeries, this, and, and complications, that. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough to, you know, I had to, I had to get myself over the finish line. So, you know, I, I, I tell my team all the time, like getting in, like the challenges of, of, of the business itself were never my biggest hurdle. Um, for me, it was always staying healthy because I knew that if I could stay healthy, I could overcome any challenge. And I think that everybody has something they've been through in the past uh, that they can draw on. The fact they got through that, 
they can get through their challenges in their business. So I think because I had all that adversity, you know, when somebody said no to me on the phone or somebody canceled or somebody canceled a policy, you know, it was, it was easy to keep things in perspective. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's, it's fascinating that it's fascinating. Not only that you did that for yourself, right? That, that's, that's facing all odds as far as most people are concerned. Um, but now you, you, you translate that into your teams and the people around you and you motivate and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Did you always know that you wanted to move that direction as well? I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't really know, <clears throat> I didn't pick up on it, but even when I worked at Earl's, I even, actually, even going back to when I was a kid, I loved to be on a team. I'm a, I'm a team guy. I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't need to be the best player on the team. I just want to be on the team. Like I would say I was really good in the dressing room and I was really good on the bench. Um, I'm a really, I was a really good motivator. I was really good at motivating other people and recognizing other people, even at Earl's. I was a great team player. I worked well on the line. I learned how to deal under pressure. I mean, if you've been a line cook before, man, it's you can fly to the moon because it's that much stress, right? Uh, dinner rushes and working with four, five, six other people and everybody coordinating and you have to know when to check your ego on a team. You have to know when to take the lead. Like when do you jump in and take the lead? When do you take a step back? When are you supporting other people? So I think through my minor hockey and I think through working at a kitchen, I think I really, really learned that I enjoy being on a team. So when I, when I got into business and I had the opportunity, I think the opportunity presented itself to be able to build a team, I, I just jumped all over it. I thought, man, like, if I could, the bigger the team, right, the happier I'll be because I, I, I can start to develop. Even now I, I coach, I'm an assistant coach in my son's hockey team. I just love, I just love being in the dressing room with the kids and I love pulling one of the kids aside and, and giving them some kind of them some direct mentorship. So I think I, I developed that passion early on in my life and it just kind of developed. And then when the opportunity presented itself in a model where um, there was an unlimited opportunity to grow my organization, I just was like, that's what I want to do. And uh, it also teaches you a lot about yourself. Like leading a team, it's, it's one of the most challenging things I've ever had to discover because um, in a lot of ways you're leading a, in my business, I'm leading a volunteer army. I'm leading a team of self-employed people. They don't have to show up. They show up because they want to show up. They're not paid to show up. They're self-employed. So you have to, I had to learn to develop leadership skills to lead self-employed people, which to me has taught me so much about myself. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you, so you mentioned how you were, you know, drawn to teams and drawn yeah. to people and that sort of thing. Um, were people drawn to you? Um, I think, I think I, 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 I think in a way, yeah. I think in a way, I think that because I, because I had developed such a optimistic mindset and I think because, um, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of times in my life where I was playing the victim. So I think because as a kid, I felt like I had a lot of shortcomings. I feel like I, I, I wanted to be the kind of person that when people were around me, they felt better about themselves. So I got good at like making people laugh. I was, a, you know, I had family dinners growing up. I was kind of the goofball. I'd, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd made people laugh a lot. And I always wanted to make people feel good being around me to learn how to like, yeah. So it's, I guess effectively I learned to kind of draw people to me. So 
Um, and then in business, I just, I studied that whole space, you know, about being the lighthouse versus the tugboat, being the person that draws people to them instead of, you know, instead of having to go out and, and grind on people. So yeah, it, it was developed too, but I, I did learn that at a young age. Yeah. As you were talking there, I was just thinking, like, I think there's this, um, there's this parallel that we can draw between when you're a kid and you're kind of maybe an outcast or, or you know, you're, you're not the popular kid. Everybody's drawn to the popular kids. Yeah. But now I think there's a shift, especially recently, where, where like vulnerability and being human yeah. is cool. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I think, I you know, if, if you embrace that and, and you are true and you are kind of, you know, being honest with yourself and everybody else, then you're going to draw people your way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think you nailed it. And I think I think b being vulnerable um, is a great way to set yourself up for success because when you're vulnerable, um, it's easier to build trust with people because people trust people that are vulnerable. Uh, because you know, admitting that you aren't perfect and that you have flaws, but you're working on it. Everybody wants to follow a leader that's a little bit vulnerable. You don't want to be too vulnerable. People don't think you have control. But I agree. I think like 15, 20 years ago, vulnerability was a um, was a detriment, right? But now I think being a bit vulnerable as a leader is is uh, is powerful, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Awesome. You uh, you know you're super active on all these different platforms. You're putting out content all the time. Your thought leadership is is incredible. Um, is is that all part of your mission or your goal? Like, what what's the intent behind all of that? You know, it didn't start like that, uh, but now. It is, you know, being able to empower as many people as I possibly can. You know, my whole, my whole purpose in life has become to develop leaders, to develop leaders in all spaces, right? Leaders that can take control of their lives, um, can lead themselves, can lead other people, can lead their kids to lead, you know, lead their business. So I think it, I think it just started as, you know, my passion. And then, like anything, I got, I got better at it. Um, I saw some success doing it. And now, just with technology, I mean, I, I couldn't, 20 years ago, I didn't imagine social media, like nobody saw this. I, the idea of being able to connect with so many people didn't exist. So now with technology and the way things are going, it's, yeah, I have a huge vision to impact, you know, millions of people um, just to think different. I love it. Yeah. With all these different things that you do, like all of them take a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of energy, you know, how do you choose what you, where you, where to place your efforts? Yeah, I think it's important to prioritize. And there's been, there's been points in my career where I've been burnt out because I, I, I didn't take time to kind of sit down and prioritize. So at the beginning of every year, and then usually after every quarter, I sit down and what it starts with sit down by myself and then I would get my wife involved, but I sit down and I look at all the, all the things that are my priorities. And sometimes I have to reshuffle priorities. Like right, just, just a little while ago, my second child got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So now I have two kids that have a severe chronic illness. In fact, she's, at the, she's actually in the hospital today getting some treatment, but that means that my priorities need to shift a little bit, right? Because she needs me more than she did a year ago. So I think it's really important to always be sitting down and just looking at your priorities. And then at the end of the day, your calendar tells a story. If, if, you know, if it's supposed to be a priority and it's not in your calendar, you're not attending to it. Does it mean that 
do you have to have a date night every Wednesday? No. Does it mean that every Friday night is family night? No. There's got to be some flexibility. But I think if you write a, what I do is I write a list of all the priorities that I have in my life um, for the year and then specifically for the quarter. Um, and then I have to make sure that I schedule time to do those things. And, it, you know, there's, it's not always going to be perfect. Um, but, you know, I have three kids. So I also have to make sure that I coach my oldest son's hockey. Um, but I have two daughters as well. So I have to make sure that there's time in there for them, you know, because if I don't, if I'm not careful, the little one, you know, it's easy to not spend enough time with her. So I got to do different things with her. Like bedtime around here is a, is a gong show. My wife always laughs at me. It's like, she's like, it takes you an hour to put the kids in bed. I'm like, yeah, because each kid requires a different level of attention depending on the night, right? If I was just at hockey practice with my son and we spent the half a day together, Hey, good night, bud. We'll see you tomorrow. But if I hadn't seen my daughter in a day, um, it's probably 25 minutes of like, you know, playing games and laughing and do, you know, it's just stuff that it's just fun stuff with her. So you really have to make it count and uh, you really have to keep track of the areas that are a priority and um, reevaluate that as often as you can to make sure. Yeah. I love the idea of, of keeping, keeping a running tab of kind of what what is the priority at that time, yeah. right? Like, you know, things change. Like you said, I think too, some people just get a little too rigid in their, in their scenario, which is also fine in certain scenarios. But yeah, being intentional and being aware. Love it. Yeah. You talked about burnout there. Um, I think everybody, you know, experiences that at some point in their life. What are, you know, maybe walk me through kind of, are you aware when burnout's coming? How do you, how do you deal with it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm aware of it. I mean, it, it always tends to sneak up on you. Um, you know, I, I know myself well enough to know I can almost like pre, I can almost predetermine burnouts coming. So it's like Christmas and New Year's. We always, I always find time to do some recharging and go to Mexico for, for 10 days, take a couple days at Christmas, a couple days before New Year's. And then I imagine January, it's like you're standing at the top of a mountain, your skis just tipped over the edge and you know, like January till March for me, first eight weeks of the year are gong shows. So I have a conversation with my wife, say, hey, hon, January is going to be a blur, right? I'm going six days a week. I'm obviously still going to do some, do the family stuff, but I'm going hard. And then what I do is I, I'll pre-plan a weekend away. I'll pre-plan a night out. And if, 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 if I get to a point where it kind of catches up to me and I'm, I'm burning the candle both ends and I, you know, I'll, just, I'll just reschedule a day. I'll just call my assistant and say, hey, I need Friday. And she'll call everybody and say, you know, Steve's unavailable Friday and we'll just rebook the whole day. So it's, it's, a, little bit of, it's a little bit of pre-planning, knowing I'm going to go like crazy for six weeks and I need like three days, so book something away. Or I just get into it hard, pull my, pull my head up and go, okay, I need, I need a day and a half to just recharge. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's just me. Sometimes I'll get away for a day. Um, sometimes I'll just take my wife and I, uh, if we need to recharge just us for a night, staycation in town, Banff somewhere. Or my favorite thing to do is to take the kids with us, find a random hotel with a water slide, order some pizza and just off the grid. So a little bit of pre, pre-planning the burnout, but when it comes, how I have to address it. You know, when I was younger, I, you know, oh, seven days a week and five years straight, but I don't know. I don't know that that's the formula. I don't think seven days a week is the formula. 
because if you're so, you're so deep in it that you don't get time to work on it, that's when you burn out. You gotta be in your life, in your business, in the game, but then you have to get, you have to work on your business and on your life and on the game. And you can't work on the game while you're in the game. So you gotta, you gotta be monitoring that. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things that new entrepreneurs struggle with is, con- is being stuck in it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, besides, you know, experiencing burnout, are there tactics that you use to make sure that you're actually working on your business rather than in it? Yeah, I, I have a high level of accountability. Um, I mean, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to myself for every day. I track. I have a I have a accountability ledger that I made for my team. It's called the Greatness Tracker. I track everything. I track how many calls I've made, how many meetings I've done, the results of the meetings. Um, I write down every conversation that I've had with all my teammates. So, look, I I just decided early on I want a big life. I want to do big things. So if you want to do big things, we're only here for 80, 90 years, God willing. We're, we're here for this amount of time. And if you want this big of a life, I realize that I got to be super, super diligent with my time, hyper-focused and very, very productive, very productive. So are there, are there days or that go by or a couple hours here and there where I'm not accountable? Of course. But a lot of times I'll block that time off, two hours of just, maybe I'll just watch Netflix with my family or I'll just chill. But day-to-day, I am very accountable day-to-day for my days, extremely accountable. I get up at the same time every day. I work out at the gym the same time every day. I'm at the office the same time every day, six days a week. I'm, I bet you so far this year, uh, I'm at the office within, within a five-minute variance day-to-day. I just, I'm like, an, I'm, I'm a robot with my schedule because I create framework. And then when I get to the office, I do the same thing every day and I'm accountable for it. So then when there's times where I'm kind of like at leisure with my family or doing other stuff, I'm not worrying about it. A lot of people with their, with their kids, they're worrying about their business. And with their business, they're worrying about their family because they're like half in both. I'm like all in here and then I can be all in there. So I'm accountability every day. At the end of every week, I look at all my results versus my activity. At the end of every month, I sit down and I'm accountable to my goals. I don't always hit them, but I'm accountable. And then I take responsibility and then I have to make some changes. Awesome. Yeah. That like framework gives you freedom, right? That's, that's incredible. Um, you talked about this, the framework that you created for this accountability for for yourself and your team. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what that looks like? The, the, the actual framework. Yeah. Yeah, So I created this greatness tracker for my team. Um, and in like in our business, we track things like, um, how many appointments did you do? Right? How many how many client information gathers did you do? Like intake forms, kind of like evaluating what you can do for the client. Then it's like how many sales did you make? Right? Then it's like how many how many new prospects did you add to your list? Right? And then at the beginning of every week, they set a goal for what their goal is for the week. And then right below it, they're accountable how many did they actually do? And then at the end of every day, what did they do that day? And then my leaders, my frontline leaders, they're on a group chat. And seven days a week, 363 days, they message me their accountability for the day. Um, and they love it because, you know, it, it's rare to have a, a mentor and a leader that will actually hold you accountable. 
You know, in the beginning you think, oh, it seems like a lot and it's every day. These, these, these men and women love it. They can't wait to be accountable because every single one of them that's accountable is winning in their business. Some, some not, they're not where they wanna be, but they're all winning. So I, I'm a big believer that accountability is the glue that holds everything together. Uh, you know, so, so I've created, I created that tracker for them so they can, you know, high levels of self-awareness is important. So they're very self-aware where their holes are. Is it not enough phone calls? Is it not enough appointments? Am I not on enough sales calls? Do I not talk to enough people? So, so then here's the other thing is everybody, everybody wants to come to use the mentor and go, Steve, I need help. I need help. Well, okay. Show me your greatness tracker. Right? It's like me trying to diagnose a disease without knowing the symptoms. Show me where you're, show me where, oh, okay, you're showing up to the office between 11 and 2. That's a problem. You're working three hours a day, right? I want you in there at like 9 or 9.30 or earlier, right? Making calls. So, yeah, it's, I can't do my job if I don't know exactly what they're doing. So if you want my time and my, my coaching, you need to make sure that you're accountable for everything you're doing. Do you find there's characteristics to a leader uh, that are like predetermined or is it something that kind of anybody can learn to become if they, if they want to? Yeah, it's a good question. I think leadership can be developed, but there's, there's certain things that I look for that I don't want to, I got to be careful. I don't want to say you like need it off the bat, but there's certain things that I look for. Like for example, um, trustworthy. Is this person trustworthy? Like, if you're not if you're not trustworthy person, that takes a long time to rebuild, right? Second is like, are you likable? I know people that are trustworthy, but they're not likable. Well, if you want to be a leader, you have to learn to be likable, likable, trustworthy. Three is desire, right? Uh, Think and grow rich. You know, in that book, they said the number one thing you need is burning desire. If you're not hungry, like if if person I'm working with isn't hungry for more. It could be anything. Just hungry for more, they're going to struggle to be a leader, right? And for are they committed? I'd rather take somebody with zero potential and 100% commitment than 100% potential and zero commitment. So those are some things that I look for. If I find somebody that's likable, trustworthy, super hungry, and they're committed, I can work with them on becoming a leader, right? Um, so... You know, and then you look for things in their past too. Like, were they, were they ever on a team? Have they been on a team before? Do they play team sports, individual sports? I think sometimes people that come from individual sports struggle a little bit more um, to lead a team. The other thing, the best leaders were once the best followers. So I can tell early on, is this, is this a guy student of the game? Is he following what I'm doing? Is he listening? Is or she, you know, is she doing everything I'm telling her to do? Because if you don't want to be a great follower, you're never going to be a great leader. Everybody wants to go from zero to leader. Oh, I want to, I want to go from where I'm at to leading a big team, making a million bucks. Yeah, but you got to be a great follower. Even, even as a leader, you still got to be following, right? Your mentor. So I think, I think a lot of people miss that whole concept. Yeah. You're coaching and developing hundreds of thousands of tens of thousands of people all the time um when when you when you're dealing with that many people i i guess i'm curious as to like uh mentorship groups or or mentors that you might have that contribute to your success and you're able to pass that information and things down what does that look like for you yeah it's 
it, it's been important. Like the way, <clears throat> the way I've been mentored is how I can mentor other people. So I'm a part of mentorship groups. Like, excuse me, I'm a part of like RT Syndicate, right? So get to hang out with Andy Frisella, Ed Milet. Ed's been my personal mentor since 2008. Um, but even within our company, there's so many great leaders in our company because leadership's caught, it's not taught. You don't, you don't teach leadership, you catch it. So you gotta be around a leader. That's a, that's a thing too, is people think they can pick up a John Maxwell book, read Developing a Leader Within You, which is a great book, but that doesn't teach you about leadership. You literally have to be around somebody who is a leader, and then you watch how they speak. Now you can do a bunch of that through online watching YouTube and stuff, but proximity is power. So I always have mentors that are coaching me and guiding me, and it's, it's, sometimes it's from afar. There are people that probably don't know they mentor me, but they do through their, their podcasts and things like that. But um, I've, had, I've had amazing exposure to mentors, but I put myself in those rooms. You gotta put yourself in the room. I've had to invest in myself. I've had to invest going to events, meeting, meeting a person, and then connecting with them. Um, you know, I've never been afraid to invest. I've never been afraid to go to events. I've traveled a lot all across North America to go to events. And now from these events, I've met some amazing humans that I'm now friends with, but they're also my mentors because the mentor to me is somebody who's further down the path that I wanna be on. And a lot of these men and women are further down the path financially, right? So they teach me, well, I ask them questions. What do you do with your money? How do you invest it? What are you investing in right now? How do you buy a business? Um, how do you run your staff? You know, how do you, how do you scale your business? When is it a good, should you own 50% of a company or 25% of a company? These are all questions that I've been able to ask my mentors because I put myself in those rooms. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. And you know, it's, it's a common understanding to kind of surround yourself with people that you, you know, you, you align with, but also people that you look up to and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, when those rooms change, because this is this, I'm sure you've experienced this, where you know uh, you've put yourself in a room that's everybody's everybody's kind of what you aspire to be, but then you get to a certain level and that room has to change. Mm -hmm. Has that ever happened to you? And what does that what does that look like? Yeah. What do you mean by change? So maybe you know maybe you you amass a success or or you know something that that uh, brings you to the level where that that room the, the people you surround yourself maybe no longer serve you right. or yeah. or that 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 surrounding needs to change. Yeah, I think. You're right. It's it's always upgrading. You always have to be upgrading, and I think I think like the middle class mindset has a hard time thinking about that because they they think of it in terms of like, well, you're just like forgetting about people, and what you don't want to be like friends with those people anymore. It's not about that. It's about I, I believe you're at your happiest when you're hanging around people that are, have a like minded vision for their life. They're like minded. They think like you. They want the same things as you. Um, so I think that taking stock and inventory of where you're at and the people that you surround yourself with, I think any opportunity that, that, that you can get to level yourself up, you know, how many times have I sat there and thought, man, should I do this event? I'm nervous. There's some big players at that event. My wife's like, then you need to do it. What do you, what do you mean you're thinking about it? You got to get there. And she's been great. She's pushed me way out of my comfort zone to, to do these different kinds of events, but yeah, like the goal, the goal, when you get into a circle, the goal should be to graduate from that circle. And every time, every time you graduate, not everybody graduates with you. You know, people say, it's, you know, there's a lot of room at the top. Um, it's because you get around 100 people, you know, 
50 or 60 decide to level up and you're in a new room with new people. And then 20 or 30 decide to level up and then level up and level up. And you get to a point where, you know, you might be done growing. And But I think that always trying to level up one of the rooms you're in, you don't forget about everybody else, but always trying to level up one of the rooms you're in, I think is super important. Yeah. Have there ever been any tough conversations or tough decisions you've had to make, be, make just based on the people that surround you? You know, I've heard from from uh, previous guests that th there's some people that you know maybe you grew up with them, maybe they were a good friend at one point, but that relationship no longer serves you, and that that you know that might have to be a tough decision that you have to make. Oh yeah, the whole way, the whole way. It's 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 constant. Um, it's never really been like for me it's never been a conversation that I've had to have it's just you just slowly start to drift away it's more like drifting you drift away um you just don't have the same things in common anymore you know it happens at all stages like when I was young and single I hung out with all my single buddies and you know there's some friends of mine that are still single and still party um, we still connect once a year over text, but I was out with them every Friday night back in the day. And it's not that, hey, I can't be around you or hey, you're a bad influence. It's like, I'm busy. I'm busy with my wife and I were hanging out or we have kids or, you know, kids hockey. And especially when you have kids, I find it changes a lot of things because you're so involved with your kids' activities, which is awesome that a lot of times, the, the, the people you get around are, are from, that, from that kid influence group. Um, you still got to be careful. Again, you got to level up those associations. Um, but um, yeah, it's my, my whole life. I'm sure there's been people that have had to level up from me at times. I was probably one of the guys 20 years ago that some people had to, oh man, I, I don't have a lot in common with him anymore. And that's okay. Right, because again, I feel like we're at our happiest when we're when we're around people that we're aligned with. Yeah. As an extremely high performer that has so many things going on, how how important is um, is like your support system? You know, your family. Obviously, you have a great relationship with mm -hmm. your family. You're talking mm -hmm. about that earlier with mm -hmm. your kids and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, how important is that? Yeah, to me, to me, it's very important. I'm a I'm a family guy. You know. I hear, you know, I hear people say, oh, I do it with or without them. And I appreciate that. But for me, it's like, I have to feel connected to my, to my kids. I have to feel connected to my wife because what are we doing this for? You know, you know, the stats, like what 50% of marriages end in divorce. So I don't, I don't want to go on this massive journey of success and create this unbelievable, you know, life and wealth and and but if I don't have a relationship with my kids so I've always thought I think I think often about the end of my life and Ed does Ed talks about this I think a lot maybe too much but I think about I think about the end a lot and it's not necessarily me like on my deathbed taking my last breath although those thoughts do come into my mind occasionally but it's more like me nearing the end and looking back and I got goosebumps when I talk about it because I think about it quite often. I think about how do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? I, can, I, don't, I can't control what's going to happen to me. I could pass away, God forbid, from a disease a year from now or I could live till I'm 90. But whether I go a week from now, a year from now, and 20 years from now, 
is my relationship with my wife squared? Do my kids know that I love them? Do, do my kids have good memories of their dad? Good, just good thoughts. Did we leave things on a good note overall? And uh, I, I work on that every day, every day. And yeah, we have tough conversations and it's not always roses and they get disciplined, but I always try and make sure that I come back around and I make sure that we close the loop on the conversation because they're like they're my they're my end game they're my everything right so at the end of the day when it's time for me to pass on um that relationship with them is my legacy so it's it's literally everything and then have knowing i have that everything else just makes it so much better like winning is so much more fun when you have that short up making money is so much more fun when you have that short up. So that's like, that's the thing I, I, that's, that's my most important nucleus is the, is the family. And then everything else is, is all, it's all for us. Did you always know that you wanted to start a family when you started business? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I always knew that I wanted to, yeah, I always wanted to like duplicate and replicate. You know, I wanted, I, I just love the idea of like, having somebody or a few people or a few children to kind of like pass on the legacy to or show them how to do things or lead. They just back to leadership, right? I always knew that I would like, I wanted a bunch of followers um, to build a life with and not just followers to follow me, but like I wanted to build a little colony. I wanted to, you know, I always wanted to, to just have, have our own identity as a family. And I knew I needed more than just me. Awesome. Yeah. You, you work with your wife, is that correct? Yeah, like she's, she's licensed, but she like runs our operations, works with our staff a lot, does all of our big events, um, communicates with all of our top leaders. So she's different role than me, um, but she's very active in our business. Does all the accounting with our accounts and things like that, books, all that. I've, I've, heard, I've heard both ways that working with your partner can be incredible and working with your partner is the worst decision some people have ever made. Mm. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I've heard, right? Um, I think that, I think if my wife and I were both trying to do the same thing at the same time, it would be complicated. But it's like, we have a, we, we know what we want. And... I'm in my lane and she's in hers. And I try not to really interfere with what she's got going on. If she needs something, she just asks. I, I, if she needs to spend money on something, she just spends money on something. It's a lot of trust. And then she lets me do my thing. She's so great because she lets me lead, right? She lets me take the lead on the business. She lets me take the lead on the income, she never has to worry about any of that stuff. She has faith in me, trust in me, and then I have trust and faith in her. So we, we work together on a common vision, but day to day, we have different missions. Different vision, sorry, same vision, different missions, day to day. And the end of the day, you know, it's like, it's like morning, it's like, all right, we're ready, set, high five, let's go. And we go do our thing, end of the day, we kind of debrief. So yeah. I've never really, I've never really understood the concept of working side by side with your spouse could be like the hardest thing. 
I, personally, I've never, I, I, I respect it because man, if it's, if it, if it's that bad, then don't do it. Right. For me, I enjoy like sharing part of my day, sharing the journey, sharing the ups, sharing the down, like just kind of like a little bit of overlap to me is, is, is powerful. Like I call my wife and I talk to each other eight, nine times a day on the phone. Like every, between every meeting, it's called to touch and base, touch and base, touch and base, touch and base. She's at the hospital, you know, I'm in, I'm in business. I did a meeting where, hey, do you want to book the Hawaii flights? Hey, when are we going to be in Vegas? Nonstop, 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 nonstop. So I would definitely miss that if I didn't have that. Yeah. I love that idea of shared shared vision. You know, if you, if you both know that that's, that's what you're working towards, mm-hmm. then there's no question. You're not questioning, especially with that trust aspect. Then, yeah. you know, you're both working towards the same thing. Then however you get there, you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you've talked a little bit about your kind of your sense of purpose, um, but I'm curious has that ch- has that changed over over time? Like, is there is it a moving is your goal your purpose a moving target? Yeah, it's it's for sure changed. It starts it starts with you know you seeing some success in your business. It starts with a small vision of accomplishing you know, set goals and just, just a few things. And, and then it manifests, it manifests over time. And I think that it's up to us to continue to feed that, to feed that vision. I think I've had to work very hard on that. I've had to get around some really big thinkers, but to me, it's also why I'm as excited today as I was 18 years ago. You're like, man, how are you as fired up today as you were when you started? Like I thought, when you make all this money, you're supposed to be like traveling the world and completely checked out. I'm like, man, it's because I'm, 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 my purpose is completely different. And I couldn't have imagined my purpose today when I started. It's, it kind of, it kind of moves. You know, a mentor of mine said a long time ago, he said, you need to develop a purpose that has nothing to do with income or title. And it's something that you can just do. And to me, developing leaders became that thing. So... Yeah, it's definitely something that I've had to work and develop. Yeah. yeah. Speaking about work, um, what are what are what if can you identify one of the hardest things you've ever had to deal with in business, whether it be, you know, what? Yeah. I mean, I think the one of the hardest thing. I think the hardest part of business, my business, is is people. It's the best part. It's the hardest part. You're dealing with people. So, you know. Watching people give up on themselves, I think, is really hard. Um, and people give up on themselves for lots of reasons. Uh, a lot of times it's like their their lack of partner support at home is a big one, which leads to the lack of belief in themselves. I think a lot of, I see a lot of people that give up on themselves because they don't believe in themselves. And I think for me, like dealing with team conflict is one thing. And I don't mind dealing with conflict. You know, you build a big team, there's going to be conflict, right? There's going to be uh, personality challenges, things like that. I, to me, that I, I, it's just part of the deal. But when people give up on themselves, like that, that 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 sucks. Like that hurts, because I always think to myself, I'm like, man, like this is a 38 year old woman, or this is a 44 year old man. Like he gave up on himself at 44. Like what the hell is he gonna do? Like where does he go from here? He finally, they finally had somebody, a mentor that believed in them. They finally had a system that worked. They finally found a team that they could go and, right, and, you know, 
be that single mom or pay off that home or travel the world, all the reasons they started and they just, they give up on themselves. And I think watching people give up on themselves, I, I never get used to it. It's not ever one of those things where I think I'm going to be like, oh yeah, you know, you know, it's just one of those things. People, like I understand it. I, I get the concept, like people, not everyone's going to do it. But watching someone quit on themselves, I think that's, that's the hardest thing that, I've, that I deal with in business. Do you ever draw parallels or like commonalities between people that give up on themselves? I, I do, yeah. Yeah, I have in the past. Like things they have in common, yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it stems back to they just don't believe in themselves. And it could be, you know, success is 50% mental, 50% environmental. And I can't show up to their home and change their home environment. A lot of it's, a lot of it's their home environment or it's how they were raised or you know, they go home and it's, it's negativity, negativity, negativity. So yeah, there's, there's quite often some very common commonalities, I should say, between people that quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does success look like to you? Success to me is waking up every day happy without that pit in my stomach, without, without fear, living in fear. Um, I just want to wake up every day, be, feel happy, and not have any stress. Now, stress to me comes from financial stress. Like, and I'm, I'm well on my way. I'll just be clear. I'm not, I'm not struggling by any means, but I, I, I know I've been around mentors of mine that are worth a lot of money. You know, they're good people, some of the, the good people too. You can't just have a lot of money, but I've been around people that are worth a lot of money. They have no debt. They've been financially independent for three, four decades. There's just a looseness to them. Yeah, they have goals and yeah, they still have family drama and, you know, they're trying to work on some things, but like to be stone cold, financially independent, where you don't have to rely on anybody, anything, not the government, not a bank, nothing. You know that generationally your kids and grandkids are going to be completely taken care of. I think that's ultimate success for me. But along the way, I want to wake up happy. I want to wake, I want to wake up fired up. I want to wake up excited. And as long as I can wake up excited and fired up and hungry, that to me, that's, that's success. Yeah. I love that. I think I think that balance is so important. You know, you talk about, or we hear people talk about generational wealth and that sort of thing, and they get obsessed with that idea, but then they lose the element that you were talking about earlier, like putting your kids to bed, yeah. you know, because they're in constant pursuit of that. But what does that matter if, if yeah. it doesn't exist? Yeah, right? yeah, 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 I agree. Um, company culture, you know, you work with, you work <clears throat> with so many people so consistently. How important is culture and how do you develop it? Yeah, I mean, it's really important. I think the first thing that we did is we de- we designed the culture. So a lot, what happens a lot of times is like a lot of a lot of people they attract teammates or employees, and then they decide how do we how do we build a culture. For me, in two thousand nine, when I was sick and I got out of the hospital, like thirteen, so thirteen years ago, I wrote a list. I wrote a list of all of the things I wanted for my team culture. And we just talked about it all the time. So to develop a team culture is very important because what a culture does is a culture, a culture guides your people when you're not there. A culture moves the organization. 
where you're not the you're not the only one moving it the culture moves it and you know you got to design it because right now in everybody's organization everybody's business everybody watching right now has a culture in their business everybody has a culture in their home everybody has a culture in their church it's a good culture it's a bad culture it's a medium culture what's your culture so culture exists the question is what is it right what is it and you look at sports teams there's good culture in the locker room there's bad culture but there's culture so you might as well figure out what you want that to be so write it down you know maybe develop some core values talk about it all the time start recruiting people to that culture so what we do is we say listen Aiden, before I bring you on board to our team let me tell you a bit about our culture let me tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do and and what makes us different and then I go through a bunch of things right here's our core values and we take responsibility and you know if we have a problem we vent up never vent down like you know we're possibility thinkers um you know we we take challenges in stride so that's that's our you know that's our culture do you see yourself fitting into that culture yeah yeah i think i, I yeah for sure like you know a, i could for sure so we're we're onboarding people to the culture that we've predetermined and designed and then now that we have a huge culture if i you know if i go to way to africa like i did for 3 weeks in in august with my family guess what we don't miss a beat because the culture runs you develop the culture the culture runs your business mhm have you ever had a situation where you've had like a, a bad apple for about lack of better terms where you know maybe it was a poor poor culture fit and uh and you know as entrepreneurs we know that spreads like poison yeah oh for sure you know what i found though by having a strong culture it weeds the bad apples out sometimes it's painful sometimes it's even torturous but if you take a bad apple and you put him in a strong culture that bad apple is going to get squeezed out so it's funny because you can rise up you can rise up you can rise up but if you're not a good person and you don't mean well and you're not here for the right reasons you are going to get squeezed out and every single one of those kinds of people that we've had in our team every single one has never made it here long term never i've had some i've had some people come up in my business make almost a quarter million a year. But you know what? Their character wasn't all there. So guess what? Take some shortcuts. Don't necessarily do what's right for the client. Boom. Left the organization. Because bad apples can't stand a great culture. They can't handle it, right? Because what they want to do is they want to take over the culture. They want to they they are poison. But when the culture is so strong, that it 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 spits out the poison um that's how you know right so yeah we do but that's that's why you know we put faith in our culture you can't you can't you can't determine you can't tell so who somebody is right off the bat you got to get to know them a bit maybe maybe we find out a bit who, about who they are in licensing maybe somebody lied about their background so we get them licensed and they can't really pass a background check and you know so am i going to write a letter of recommendation for this person or am i going to say sorry man like you're just not a fit for our team you you know you robbed the bank you're not going to you're not going to do well here nor would you get a license in our business but um yeah bad apples happen so instead of me trying to like psychoanalyze every single person as we're onboarding them i just have faith that our culture will squeeze those people out because bad apple they can never get rich quick enough they can never get rich quick enough bad apples they 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 struggle with with the process because it's too slow for them they want to make more money quicker 
They're always trying to find a shortcut. How do I take a shortcut? How do I make more money quicker? How do I cheat the system? And they, you know, how do I, how do I build a big team without being a good person? How do I like make a lot of money off of people and be a shitty leader, right? Or not really care about my people? Well, you can, you can go 10, 15 years pretending, but eventually you won't be here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I really resonate with the idea that like strong culture will weed them out. You know, it'll deter them off the get-go. And if somehow they sneak through the cracks, then they're not going to be long. So true. Yeah. 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 And you, it's beautiful that you don't even have to identify that as a leader because they're going to identify that for themselves. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What's next for you? Like in life? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm really focused right now on just tripling down on my business. You know, it's, I'm in, I feel like I'm in the golden era right now of our business. You know, that means doubling down on social media. I'm really working on my brand. I'm really starting to leverage technology um, to grow my business and my awareness. How I did business five years ago will absolutely not be how I do business even a year from now. So yeah, I mean, our goal is to grow our business. I mean, we have a four-year four year game plan um, to be at 5,000 brokers. We've recently expanded to the US. So we're moving full pin in our North American expansion. So I think probably safe to say the next five years, I'm just gonna be really deep into the trenches of our business. And one of the ways we're gonna do that is by leveraging social media and, and um, yeah, so on the business side, we are all systems go. Um, and on the family side, I mean, we have four or five spots we wanna go and travel to the next three, four years. So, you know, book some family trips and really enjoy the kids while they're here. Because from what I hear, from my mentors, <clears throat> before you know it, they're moving out of the house. So my youngest is eight, so, you know, we have about 10 years left, you know, maybe longer from what I hear, but 10 to 12 years left to really enjoy them. So we're going to max that out too. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned there, I'm curious, you mentioned four year plan and you also mentioned four years uh, for the spots you want to, you want to uh, visit as a family. Is there a correlation between that? Is there, is there, a, is there a power in, you know, only planning that many years out? Just curious. That's a good question. A couple years ago, Almost a year ago, I sat down and made like a really, really powerful five-year plan. Developed a really deep five-year vision for my business or our business, our life. So you could say we're one year into that four-year plan. Yeah. So it doesn't mean I'm going to like retire. It just means that by 2020, it's 2027, December 2027, we have several goals in different areas that we're like going all out. I find like so many people every single year, they set a five-year plan. Well, you got to start that five-year plan. Like, you, can't, you can't just restart a five-year plan. And that was me. I was keep restarting five-year plan. So I got a, I got a game plan to 2027, vision 2027. Um, countries you want to travel to, the size of our business, scope, financial goals, wealth, all that. And uh, yeah, and then we'll pick our head up from there and make another goal. Awesome. Where can we send people to follow along the journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, YouTube. YouTube's a great place. It's Steve Holbrook or at Holbrook's World on all the platforms. Um, Instagram, Instagram. Go find me on Instagram at Holbrook's World, Steve Holbrook. And, and uh, you know, if you hit the link tree, you can find all my different platforms. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. This was awesome to chat yeah, with you. And I me, man. really, really enjoy chatting people and your philosophies and that sort of thing. It's just incredible. Yeah, to hear I'll about, have to so. come back and interview you next time. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, bro.